current events are a stark reminder that it is not enough for us to remove symbols that cause division. Rather, we also must strive to eliminate division itself. He then goes on to say, Only as a united force, free from discrimination, racial inequality, and prejudice, can we fully demonstrate our core values and serve as the elite warfighting organization America requires and expects us to be. A country that is divided cannot fulfill its ideals. A military branch that is divided cannot fulfill its purposes. And the church of Jesus Christ, if divided, cannot accomplish her mission. And one of the strategies of an enemy is that they try to divide in order to conquer. Divide and conquer. Well, the enemy of the church, the enemy of Christ, the enemy of God, the enemy of the Gospel uses a similar strategy. Jesus speaks of the enemy of God and Himself and the Gospel and the church in John 10.10 where He says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Peter echoes a similar tone when he warns the Christians spread abroad in Asia Minor. And he says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is seeking an opportunity to take advantage of the church. And Paul warns us not to allow this to happen in 2 Corinthians 2.11 where he says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul, in preparing the Ephesian church for the battle, the battle that they would face in this life, he warns them about who the real enemy is. He says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We've been duly and amply warned. Satan The enemy of our souls wants to divide us that he might conquer us and he wants to distort and distract us from God's purposes. We cannot expect, brothers and sisters, to correct all of the evils that this world produces. We cannot. The Bible teaches us of an increase of evil. This is why we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3 to start. Look please with me at verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. He says, "While evil people and impostors will go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the King James uses a different expression. 
it says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Wax worse and worse. The expression comes from the Greek word prokopto. It means to lengthen out by hammering. Think if you have some wax and you have a mallet and you have a hard surface under that wax and you start to use that mallet on the wax, what's going to happen? The wax is going to start spreading out. And this is the expression that Paul uses, that God through Paul uses to describe the fact that as we draw toward the end of this age, the evil and evil people and evil intentions will spread and become worse, not shrink and become better. We should have every expectation that evil will increase. In chapter 3 of the same chapter, 2 Timothy 3, look at verses 1-5. through As Paul describes the scene of this spreading evil, he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of, what does it say? Difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be proud and arrogant. They'll be what? What is it? Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3, what's the first word? Heartless. Heartless. Unappeasable. Slanderous. Without self-control. What's the next word? Brutal. Brutal. Not loving. Good. They will be treacherous and reckless swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. God describes a scene that is increasingly dark. Increasingly causing disgust to our senses. Abusive, unkind, unloving, reckless, No self-control. Loving self. Loving self. Me and my way. And what does Paul do to try to counter this spread of evil? What does he describe? Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, You, however, have not followed... Excuse me. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. His teaching, His life, and God's glorious rescue, these are the things that Paul spoke to the world, these are the things that counter the spread of evil. A life that demonstrates the Gospel. Teaching that reflects the Gospel. And a hope that reflects the Gospel. My life, my teaching, and my rescue. I didn't rescue me. God rescued me. 
A little further in this text, he tells us to remember the truth. He tells Timothy to remember the truth. Verses 14 through 17. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He tells him to remember the truth. You've seen it. My, my escape from evil was following the Gospel, teaching the Gospel, and being saved by the Gospel. You, Timothy, same thing. Remember the truth. And then in chapter 4, verses 1-5, through he tells him, preach that Gospel. Preach that Gospel. Because it's the only thing that will save a world in confusion. It's the only thing that will save a world at war with one another. It's the only thing that will rescue people from the unrest that is around them because there's an unrest within them. He says this in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearance in His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke or reprove, excuse me, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. My brothers and sisters, it's so easy to be distracted from our main purpose. There are so many ways that our attention can be divided. You look at 2020. I don't know how you describe 2020, but there was a great song about it. This music teacher had a little ukulele. And she sang this beautiful song that she penned for herself. Ready? It went like this. <laughs> That's about sums up 2020 thus far. From assassinating a general in another country, nearly on the brink of World War I, or three, whatever you want to call it, a World War Continuous, uh, the, the fires in, in Australia, you've got impeachment of presidents in the United States, you, you have the, the coronavirus that we're all enjoying so much, and, and now we have just another demonstration of our corrupt society. Wherever you land on these issues about the corruption in our society, we need to be careful to consider all of the people involved. All of the people involved. Not minimizing anyone involved. Those that are actually inflicting brutality, we should be disgusted with. Absolutely disgusted with, and there should be justice rendered. Brothers and sisters, what we're seeing today, while it's very public and in the eyes of our media and social media and it's on our minds, 
These horrific things have been going on endlessly here and elsewhere. They're uncalled for, they're sinful, they're corrupt. Our attention, if divided into all of these issues, we are going to miss our main purpose. And Satan would like us to be nothing more than involved in this issue, in this cause, and that cause. He has no problem with causes. There's one problem he has. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it rescues people and because it transforms people. If we want to see a society at rest, a society at peace, a society where justice rules, it will come through the transforming work of God through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot deviate from God's plan for us. We are a Gospel-preaching and a Gospel-living people. As we look at the world around us and we observe so much unrest, so much conflict, so much hurt, we need to recognize the source of this conflict. And you might think, having the way we've started, that I'm going to say the source of the conflict is Satan. He's involved. You might think that I'm going to say that the source of the conflict is the world about us. You might think that by the way that we've started. But while one source is Satan and another source is the prevalent evil of this world, there is another source of conflict that must be addressed. And it's not out there. And it's not down there. It's right in here. This is your problem. This is my problem. This is my neighbor's problem. This is my nation's problem. This is the problem that we're dealing with. Is this war here. And that war here spills out. We need resolution to that war. James answers the question of conflict very nicely in James 4. Please take a look there with me. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fight among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight. And quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In verse 1, James captures the idea of conflict by using three different Greek words. He uses the word quarrels, and it comes from the word polemos, and you can hear in that word polemic. Polemic is defined this way, an aggressive attack on or refute of the opinions or principles of another. You see that? Okay. You think this way. You think that way. Argue, argue, fight, fight, quarrel. He uses the word fights. The Greek term is moxe. 
Perhaps uh, this could be referring to physical combat, but more likely in this context, it is referring to battles of words and ideas. So that's the second word he uses to describe conflict. And then he uses the words at war, the passions that are at war within you. And for that, he uses the Greek term stratuomai. And in that, you can hear the concept of strategy, right? It's a military expression. Um, It's a military expedition. So he's using these words to tell us there's war, there's war, there's fighting and quarreling. And and, and really, it's because there's some kind of a strategic war within you. James writes these words on conflict. Of course, he has been inspired of the Spirit of God to write. He writes this, and it comes on the heels of a discussion in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, of heavenly wisdom. That heavenly wisdom that results in a righteousness, a righteousness that is demonstrated through peaceful peacemakers. Now we're in chapter 4 of James. Look at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And listen, a harvest of righteousness. Here's righteousness. Is sown. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, peacefully, by those who make peace, peacemakers. So what he's telling us is those that are operating under the submission of the Spirit, they have the wisdom that's from above. And that wisdom is described in verse 17 with those character traits. It's the fruitfulness of spiritual wisdom similar to the fruit of the Spirit. And he says those that have this spiritual wisdom ruling over them and ruling in them, they are sowing righteousness peacefully because they are peacemakers. This is how he ends chapter 3. He is writing to religious people who are associated with the believing church. Some of the people that he's writing to are certainly believers and some are certainly not. He writes very provocatively challenging them in their current state. There are unbelievers amongst the grouping that he's writing to, but all of the people that he's writing to are religious people. They're religious people. And we can see how these comments in chapter 4, verses 1-4, through are applicable to those in the church, believers and unbelievers in the church, and those outside of the church. They're common to man. This war, this conflict... Where is this conflict coming from? Oh, it's coming from over there. Oh, it's that group. Oh, it's this group. No, it's that group. Oh, it's Satan. It's the world at large. No! Yes, maybe true. But the real war is right here. It's in you. It's in me. And it's in our neighbors. In verse 1, he ends verse 1 by asking a question. And I'm going to read it to you differently than than you have it recorded here. This is going to be more of a, a literal rendering from the Greek. Don't these conflicts arise out from your pleasures, the ones that strategize in your members? Don't these conflicts arise out of your pleasures that strategize against your members? 
He's letting us know about this war. Peter made a similar comment about our passions. Listen to what he said in 1 Peter 2.11. The passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Your passions wage war against you. And my passions wage war against me. In uh, James chapter 4 and verse 1, we talked about the word pleasures already, the passions. It says, is it, is it not this that your passions are at war? That word passions or pleasures is the Greek term hedone. And it, you know, we get the word hedonism out of that. I, I found a really great definition of hedonism on the, on the screen for you. The pursuit of pleasure or self-indulgence. Doesn't your problem come from your desire to please yourself? or to indulge yourself. He's really bringing this home to us. This is very obvious, very clear. The same word, hedon, is used in Titus 3.3. Listen to what he says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. The word important there is slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Where's where's the problem? Where is the real problem? It's in the heart of man. It's in the heart of man. It's in our hearts. So, with that being said, the idea that is um, being presented here is of the conflict and how it starts inwardly. The idea that these pursuits of pleasure rule over people. So we want to just notice some truths about this, and we'll do this rather succinctly. This first one we've already covered. The first point, we're not going back and recovering, because I just, I just presented it to you. Our passions, unguided by God's grace, lead to conflict. Our passions, unguided by God's grace, lead to conflict. That's the problem. Secondly, Our passions, unguided by God's grace, lead to unrighteousness. Look at the beginning of verse 2. We're in James 4, beginning of verse 2. You desire, and you don't have. So you murder. You covet, and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. So he talks about murder, fighting, and quarreling at the beginning of verse 2. I'd say you can just extrapolate from there. Right? You can just continue that discussion. He just gives you and I a little sampling. Desires for pleasure, listen to this, desires for pleasure lead to envy, jealousy, hate, covetousness, fornication, thievery, and a whole host of other sinful demonstrations. He just gives us a couple of samples because he's talking about conflict. But it, you can just really run the gamut. What's the problem? The passions that want to rule over me, instead of allowing God's grace to guide me, my passions guide me. Oh, you're a person of such passion. You follow your heart. Well, good luck with that one, buddy. Being guided by your heart is the most dangerous thing you can be. Your emotions flip-flop. Depends on what's going on. Which way are the winds blowing today? Oh, I feel really happy. I'm going to do this. Oh, I feel really sad. I'm going to do this. I feel really in despair. I'm going to do this. Right? Guarded by, guided by our, our emotions, we have real problems. The problem starts within us. We are tempted to please ourselves with what our eyes see. 
John warns about this in 1 John chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, what does it say? Is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Guess what? The world is passing away with all its desires. Ah, a little gospel truth here, just a little gospel nugget in the middle of him warning. He says, But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Put your treasure in that which lasts. Isn't Jesus talked about this? Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where thieves cannot break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Very clear. Take a look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person, each person, how many does that include? Does that include you? Does that include me? Does that include my neighbor? Uh huh, that's right. Let each one understand this, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. What does it say now? By his own desire. Once we're enticed and cater, this is where the real problem begins. Verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Why are we talking about this? Because our passions, unguided by God's grace, lead to unrighteousness leads to wickedness, leads to evil, leads to corruption, it leads to brutality, it leads to unkindness, it leads to not caring about the plight of others. Unrighteousness. Move a little further back in James chapter 4 in the text, and we want to recognize this. Our passions, unguided by God's grace, ignore God's will. Our passions, unguided by God's grace, ignore God's will. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Let's just consider this for a moment. Why would we have some pressing need or desire and not ask God about it? You've had one. You've had one of those pressing needs and desires and you didn't ask God about it. Why? Why would we not want to seek His guidance and have His help? Usually, believer in Jesus Christ, the reason that we wouldn't go to God about something that is our desire is because we know the desire doesn't come underneath His will. And so, James is pointing this out. You've got all this, this conflict going on in your hearts. You've got all these desires that are strategizing against your soul. And because you don't have what you want, you hurt other people. If you really want this thing really bad and it's the right thing, why not talk to the one who can supply for his child? Oh, if you go to your father and you ask for bread, is he going to give you a stone? If you ask him for fish, is he going to give you a scorpion? No. If, if your earthly father knows how to give you good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? Yes, you would always go to him if you know what you're thinking is right. I would propose to you 
that it would be related to having another ruler on the throne of your heart. So instead of being guided by the, the King of glory, we're being guided by the King of corruption. The King of evil. The King of sin. Our own passions ruling over us. We all need to regularly ask ourselves this. Whose kingdom am I living for? Whose kingdom am I living for? All the stuff going on around us. If there's a peaceful protest somewhere, should we not be concerned for them? Yes. Should we just automatically say, oh, protesting is necessarily bad. That should not be the first thing that comes to our mind. Our Constitution gives people the right to do this. Now, maybe not during the coronavirus. <laughs> Can't do anything with the coronavirus except protest. But that's another matter altogether. Should there not be a compassion and a care for those that, that feel that there have been mistreatment? Of course we should have a compassion for them. Whose kingdom am I living for? Well, I have very strong opinions and I'm this and I have these things. I think he's talking about us. I think that God is talking about us. I have strong opinions. This is what I want. This is what I think. This is what I'm going to do. And you know what results from living that way? Fights and quarrels. War within our members. Wrong. Wrong. Those who are living for the kingdom of Jesus Christ will be able to approach the throne of God just like the author of Hebrews describes in Hebrews 4.16, let us then, with confidence, you know that word means freedom of speech? Let us then, with freedom of speech, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The person who has the right kinds of desires that knows who the, the king is will always go to the king. They'll always go and they can speak freely to Him. And no, He's going to give me what I need. And He's ultimately going to do what is right. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 14, John speaks with this confidence. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He what? He hears us. He hears us. The key to the confidence proposed by John is seeking the will of God and praying according to that will. Praying according to God's will. The people James is warning are those who are seeking to enjoy their own idea of a kingdom that they have built in their own minds. Let me say that again. The people James is warning are those who are seeking to enjoy their own idea of a kingdom that they have built up in their own minds. This is the way things ought to be. And we want to have our passions, we want to have our passions in submission to God and His grace so that we'll seek His will and His way. Oh, the transformation that would take place within us and in many ways as God transforms us he begins to transform people around us. God's transformative work doesn't stop in a person. When we are being transformed, we impact those nearby 
such an important concept. Fourth, in our discussion, our passions, unguided by God's grace, are selfish. Verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, to consume it on your lusts. We already talked about this, so I won't spend much time reiterating. The Bible warns us about the heart. In Jeremiah 17.9, you're very familiar with this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We should be equally, equally aware of what Jesus said in Matthew 15. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder, adultery and sexual immorality, theft and false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. We don't want to be led by our hearts. We need to be led by God's truth, empowered by God's Spirit. This is a reality. We preach about it every single time we're together. We need to be led by the Word and empowered by the Spirit. And as that takes place, God is doing His work in us and around us. Fifthly and finally, our passions, unguided by God's grace, lead us to the wrong refuge. Our passions, unguided by God's grace, lead us to the wrong refuge. Verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now remember that James is writing to church-type people. People like us. Some are truly regenerated, truly believers in Jesus Christ, while others were just simply associated with the believing community. But they were not, there was not overwhelming evidence of God's transformation in their lives. So the basic contrast is this. Whose side are you on? Whose side? There's the world. Friend of, friendship with the world, enemy of God. Friend of God, enemy of the world. You can't have it both ways. I can't have it both ways. I can try, I can try to win people rather than with vinegar. I can try to win them with some honey, right? Speak the truth in love. When we come with rebuke, we come meekly, right? We, we try to do this. Light and darkness, they don't. They don't do well together. So I can't snuggle up to the world and hope that they're all just going to love me, love me, love me because I'm so cuddly, cuddly, cuddly. It's not going to work. They need to hear the truth. The truth will set them free. I have to choose. God makes it clear that you and I need to choose one side of the, or the other. There is no fence sitting here. If our refuge is in this world... We stand on tumultuous ground. However, if our refuge is God, we stand confidently now and we stand confidently in the future. The world's passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen to this text in 1 Samuel 2. You remember it to be the words of Hannah praying. praying. She's praising God. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts! In the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none 
holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no, what does she say? There is no rock like our God. He is a sturdy foundation. No tumult there. We might stand on shaky ground over here, but when we stand upon the rock, our God doesn't move. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you, God, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. For those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Joel 3.16 The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to His people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Isaiah 25.4 For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in His distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat for the breath of of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. What does our divided nation, remember a house divided against itself cannot stand? What does our divided nation need from us? They need to see our love for one another. Jesus said in John 3, excuse me, John 13 and verse 35, he said this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They need to see our love for one another. That is a starting point. They need to see our love for them. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told about the, the Good Samaritan? Our best help to this world is to be laser-focused upon the mission that God has clearly given to us. Our best help to this tumultuous world, this unrestful, unpeaceful, unjust world, is to be laser-focused upon what God has called us to do. We are to offer the life-giving, life-changing Gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to demonstrate how that life-changing Gospel makes us compassionate, caring, loving, selfless people. Satan would love to have our attention diverted from this. Satan would love for our attention to be fully upon current events, upon political and social unrest. But my brothers and sisters, we cannot be distracted. We cannot be distracted. We offer to people every day What we offer to people every day is the offer of eternal peace, eternal righteousness, eternal life, and eternal rest. Only God can truly conquer the war that rages within us. If the war is raging within us, we cannot fix the war that's raging without us. Before we can be any help to the war outside, The war inside must come to an end. We can't allow our passions to rule us. And until that war is conquered, all of the wars about us will continue to rule. But God, but God has conquered all. And you and I come underneath His care. And we demonstrate in us His peace and we distribute from us 
his peace, and we offer to others his peace. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We want you. We're desperate, desperate for your grace to help us not to cater to our own desires, to not allow us to rule our own kingdom, but instead to seek your kingdom and allow you to rule in us and through us for your glory. Father, our nation needs your grace. So many wounded. Protect, Father. Provide a way forward. But we know that it will come ultimately through the Gospel. Help us to offer it. In Jesus' name, Amen.